Amen. Well, welcome to church. Everybody good? So good. So good. God is so good. I'll tell you, in times like this, it can be a little crazy. But knowing that we have this space and this place as we walk through as the body of Christ, this is so reviving. I tell you, I, I just, every week I walk in, especially in the middle of COVID, coming out for COVID, I'm just so, I'm so much more appreciative of church. I'm so much more appreciative of the body of Christ. When it's what you've done since you were just a little toddler, just a little church rat running around, you, you, can, you can lose sight of how great it is. And I'll tell you, COVID has really taught me, and I hope it's taught us, that, man, we need each other. Times like this are needed more than probably we've ever known. And uh, we should never overlook the gathering of the brethren. Amen? Amen. Well, say hello to somebody around you. you may be seated in the house. Tinkling those ivories back there. Man, so good, so good. Everybody's well? Cool. Anybody here for the first time? You here for the first time? Anybody? First timers. What's up, first timers? Any other first timers? What's up, party people? All right. Well, welcome to Pearl Street Church. Uh, our journey is a little different. Uh, it's, it's awesome what God is doing here. Um, and what he's been doing for literally six years now is just unique in and of itself. Uh, I started out in youth ministry for nine, nine and a half years and uh, you know, was, was doing that. And it was a lot of fun. And God gave me a vision uh, one night to start a church in downtown San Antonio. And there's just something about uh, the inner city that I just love. I just love uh, the, the diversity. I love the uniqueness. Um, I love how um, cities represent just uh, uh, many cultures, but also inside of a big city, it's an opportunity for influence. And I just love those, those, those pieces of man. If there really is a church that loves God and is serving faithfully, they're serving Jesus faithfully, that the, the impossible is possible. And that the supernatural God that the world is trying to reason out can become known through his, his uh, unique qualities and his invisible qualities that, man, when we walk in faith, the miraculous is right on the other side of our prayers. The miraculous is on the other side of our faithful lives. And with that, we can, we can be a light into a broken world and we can preserve. You know, you look, uh, you look at big cities, they, they, um, they represent somewhat of a group think. Uh, you can see that in elections where large cities operate and think collectively uh, in the same direction politically. And uh, that's the whole electoral college deal that is at play here today where it's, we don't want to overlook um, middle America just because they're smaller cities and places. They're a state that represent a certain set of values and ideals that is beneficial collectively, although you can get 10 million people or whatever, it's 21 million people in California 70% to think a certain way and or, you know, a different place they can think 70% a certain way. And this is the beauty of in large cities that may think differently than other areas that if the body of Christ is active and alive, living out the truth of God's word, we can be a light into a broken space and a place. We can be the preservation mechanism into our city that, man, the God of all creation can be known because a church like Pearl Street Church exists. Amen? So as we're, God has us and our vision, what God has called us to do, we're going to be a light into this city. 
And uh, we're going to, I mean, we're not that church that's like, it's all grace. <laughs> Jesus loves you. You know, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But it is, man, faith-filled lives is going to see the miraculous, as we talked about a couple months ago. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that inside of our church. You know, our, our mission is literally to lead unchurched people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Lead unchurched people, people that are far off from God. And there's Adrian that's in here today. I won't point him out specifically. But Adrian come in, came in a month and a half ago and has been away from church for a long period of time. Uh, but he walked through these doors, and God began to move upon his heart and his life. And here he is today, changed and transformed. Christ is at work inside of his life. And we're helping him on the journey of sanctification, the process of becoming righteous, living in the standards and the righteousness of God, which is beautiful. So uh, that's who we are. That's what we're doing. And if you want to come along for the ride, come on, come along for the ride. Uh, we have ownership in Pearl Street Church. You're never going to get a certificate of membership. I'm a member of Pearl Street Church. You got the thing hanging on your wall. Forget that life, right? We don't need members here. Members have rights. Owners have responsibility. When you have a responsibility, you're like, okay, God. I'm going to do something. I'm a part of the church. I'm going to show up to serve. God, you called me to give my first fruits. I'm going to honor you with my, my resources in my life. I'm going to give faithfully. Owners have a responsibility, right? Owners pray for the house. Owners invite to the church. Owners serve on Sunday. Owners give. That's what owners do around here. So uh, if you want to play church, you can go down the street to another church. But if you want to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, take some ownership around here. Go. So that's Discover, our, our open house in a nutshell. Um, just giving it to you because COVID, we can't do it right now. So uh, we are, we're holding off on all of that stuff. But um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, we talked about it this last week and talked about Tuesday. And uh, I haven't, uh, you know, there was about 40 to 50 viewers on there, which may represent like 70 people, which is a small percentage of our church that was on on Tuesday night, and I encourage everybody to jump on on Tuesday night for Talk It Out Tuesday as we kind of jump into further conversations. It gets a little real. We have some real deal holy conversations. We talked politics this past week, which was awesome. Um, but one of the things I started off in the conversation was uh, there's a difference between division and disagreement. There's a big difference between division and disagreement. Jesus would say uh, any nation that's caught up in civil war cannot stand. That is, that is division. My side, I believe this, you believe that, and if there's a division there, it will not stand. And as we talked about over a long period of time here, these are the Marxist tactics that are at play inside of our country. If you don't know, there's a very wealthy individual that's been at, at work for the last 16 to 20 years with his multi-billions of dollars to put into dividing America for the sake of toppling America. He benefits. He's already toppled three different countries, took them down through his billions of dollars, and in that process, he literally stole all kinds of money from that country. So he's in the work here in America doing the exact same thing. So these are the tactics that are at play in order to divide our nation, to create a new nation under a different ideal, different standard. And so... Um, with this, the, the division, these ideas that are being brought up, whether it be sex, race, religion, whatever it may be, you're on this side, you're on that side, that is the world of a secular mind. The secular world wants to get caught up in those humanistic ideas. That is division. Jesus says any nation that's caught up in civil wars, civil things, division will not stand. And so on the other side of that, here we are as Christians, a part of the body of Christ, 
We're a collective, a body of Christ. We're united around Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We're united around Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, we, we, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He is our Lord, right? He is our leader. He is our Savior. He has redeemed us. He is in, we are in his kingdom. So we're united around Jesus Christ, yes? If we are united around Jesus Christ, then we can disagree um, in governance, okay? There's a clear difference between division in politics. We would be divided in, uh, in Jesus, in the kingdom of God. But if we're united in Christ, we can disagree in governance, okay? It's a clear difference that the, the, the church can't get caught up in civil affairs. What does Jesus say? Give unto God what is God, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. In essence, what is Jesus saying? You have a responsibility to God as a citizen of heaven. You have a responsibility as a citizen of the earth. Give to God, give to Caesar. In this world, though, we are first citizens of the kingdom. And with that, when we're united there, we can disagree in governance. That is, that is, that is a faith-filled belief and perspective. This is what the Marxist wants to do to the church. You're divided politically, be divided in Jesus. Be divided in your churches. Be against each other in your churches. Any nation that is divided with these civil things will not stand. And any church that is divided in civil things will not stand. But every church that's united in Christ can stand because we can disagree politically, okay? And so this is my direction to us as Pearl Street Church. Doesn't matter what side of the equation you were on today. Doesn't matter who you voted for, right? You've given your life to Jesus. Doesn't matter who you voted for, it's you've given your life to Jesus. He is now your Lord. We are united in the kingdom through Jesus Christ, and we can disagree on governance. The deal with this is where there's division, there is no love. But where there's disagreement, there is. Because we're united in Christ. I love you because you're my brother and sister in Christ. I love you. I may think you're crazy. I may think your ideas are crazy. I may think your ideas around governance are crazy. But what I love you for, because, man, we're both brothers and sisters in Christ working for the kingdom. Amen? So do not get yourself caught up in this world. Because that's Marxist divisive division that wants to bring down a nation. We want to stay united around Christ, which ultimately we know, just like it did in Rome. When the body of Christ came together around Jesus Christ, they changed nations, shifted nations, Rome being the biggest one that was shifted through Jesus Christ. God can do the impossible if we, we stay united around Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so we'll jump into our conversation today. I'm kind of in a realm of Christ-like, right? I'm kind of in this thinking of like being Christ-like, living Christ-like. It's kind of a succession of conversations that we've had around a Christian worldview, Christian apologetics, and then we're here today to say, okay, cool, there is an expectation around our living. And as we talked about last week, when we have a respect for a higher authority, when we come to this place to say there is a creator, with that respect, then we're going to want to move in obedience. We're going to want to move in obedience towards our creator. Right? And so when we live from that perspective, we ourselves pursue righteousness. We run from sin and we pursue righteousness. We pursue godly living. And with that, the last thing I left you with, which was just kind of just a little back book into it, you got to roll with the righteous. If your desire is to 
pursue righteousness, the best thing is to roll with the righteous. Find yourself, gather around people that are righteous. And so today I'm going to jump into um, expectations. You can write that across the top of your paper. Expectations. There are expectations, right? Come on, everybody knows there's expectations. You get married, there is expectations in the home. Amen? My wife has expectations. She just walked in the room. I felt her presence. You cannot deny the beauty. Hey, somebody. Amen. I feel it when it walks in the room. I'm like, Lord Jesus. But she's got expectations inside of the home. So we talked about before, you probably know my wife better than me now because I just talk about her all the time and then I forget, you know. It's always fun to forget so you don't have to live to those expectations. But inside of the home, there's an expectation of living. She loves the dishes being done. She loves it when I do the dishes so that she doesn't have to. But one of the things I hate to do the most is the dishes. But you know when I do the dishes, it goes well for me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> expectations. There's expectations. Expectations everywhere. Show up at our workplaces. Expectations. Right? If you're a son and or a daughter in here, expectations. Everybody knows there's expectations. And within expectations, there's a certain desired level of living that meets the outcomes that are you know, expected by the individual. I want you to live X, Y, and Z. And if you do this, it's going to go well for you and it'll go well for me. Amen. And the reality of what we live in, we, we, in the kingdom in which we live in, there's expectations that God has for all of us. There's an expectation on living that God has for all of us. Because we do live in a world today that says, the way you feel, go with those feelings and do as you please. What is it? It's pulling back from a certain set of standards to say, do as you want. Do as you please. There is no standard. There is no boundaries. There is no limitations. You set the limitations. You set the boundaries. And then see how it turns out. And we've talked about this many times over. In a world like that, Humans will live to the whim of their every desire, and with that, out of, outside of the expectations of God's standard, we face the destruction of those things. We are the most medicated society upon the face of the earth and ever in history. Why? Because our thinking, our world, our humanistic ideas is not leading us to fulfillment. And when we get to the end of ourselves, we realize this is a dead end. A dead end. You know, I was thinking... Uh, I'm listening to this guy right now on YouTube, which is just interesting. Heather and I are listening to it. It's somewhat of just a relaxing thing. I don't know why I'm listening to it, to tell you the truth, because a lot of the stories he tells are a little uncomfortable for me. But he's, it's called Mr. Ballin. Mr. Ballin, he's a former Navy SEAL, and he does a really great job of storytelling. Well, he tells the story of a family that went out. And they would go splunking as children. They would go splunking. And splunking is you go into underground caves and you search them and do all these things and crawl through tight spaces and all the stuff that is a ungodly fear of mine. <laughs> claustrophobia in a small space. I don't get claustrophobic around people, but you put me in like a tight space where I can't move my arm and there's a thought that I'm never going to get out, I'll lose my, my mind. I will. That is the worst idea for me. So this family goes out to go splunking. Well, this this 
the older son that was in the family, they would, uh, he would be the one that always go first and do like the hardest routes. And, you know, when he was young, he can just get through all these little crevices. Well, there was this one place where him and I think it was a brother of his said, you know what, y'all go do the easy stuff. We're going to go do the harder stuff. And it's later in life. They got this family reunion. They got back together. Like, let's go out and do it. And there's one thing called the birth canal, which obviously is a tight space. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say it that way. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll say it differently next service. We're, this is not going online. Okay. Um, so he, he goes off and uh, he starts going down this space. It's like the hardest space in the place. And he starts crawling down. Well, the space starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter. So he's thinking, okay, it makes sense. So he's going down. Well, he gets to the space where it's like he's going and then he's got to go right, oh, like just go down. And then in his mind, he's thinking, that is going to be the thing that I get into the next cave. So I just got to get there. So he squeezes. He takes a deep breath in, sucks in, pulls himself through the little hole, realizes it's a dead end right on the other side. And he's stuck. Just saying it, I'm a little scared right now. I'm like, I felt fear enter into my body. Basically, he sat there for 24 hours. They could not get him out. And to this day, his body is still there. He went out of alignment. He stepped out into a place he was not supposed to and did something that cost him his life. An area that he wasn't supposed to go to. You know, there's things in life that, you know, we can exist. These splunkers go out and there's like things that they should not be doing, things that they sh- places they should not go, but they go anyways. And like, who knows better? And they, and they do it, and they face the consequences of that. You go listen to this guy on YouTube, he tells story after story after story of multiple situations where people pushed against the boundaries, and they paid the price of those, bound, those consequences that were stepping outside of alignment. You know, God has an expectation on us. There's a boundary that he's put in place for people that call upon him. The boundaries are there because he loves us, not because he... He's wanting to remove us from us. He, he loves us. He has something for us. And when we live in this alignment, when we come to this place, say, God, we, we believe in your authority. We believe in your standard. We believe that you have a, you have a, a, a plan for us, a future for us. God, we're just going to live in alignment to your expectation. Things go well for us. You know, there's this book that's called uh, The Little Lamb. And, and the, the story of, of this book is, a, young, uh, a man would adopt this young child, and he's, he's basically teaching lessons to this child as he goes through. And one of the things he, he indicates, him, indicates to him through this book is this thing here. He says, at proper times, you may allow yourself innocent relaxation. Only never permit sensual pleasure to gain a mastery over your heart. He goes on to say, he who lets himself be carried away by the pleasures of sense, even though he may, not be, uh, he may not be guilty of overt crime, yet uh, is yet a slave of his pleasures. An innate inclination for sensual gratification uproots in our heart the feeling for all that is truly great, beautiful, and good, and makes us unfit for the enjoyment of more noble gratifications. The indication inside of this book is you can relax, but what you don't want to do is find yourself where you're given over to sensual pleasures. 
Because if you give over to sensual pleasures, you will alleviate or alleviate yourself from true gratification inside of life that comes from living basically a godly life, doing what is right. You numb the senses by living on the whim of your desire is what he is saying. What the Bible says is think on things that are good, true, right, and noble. Put your mind in a space and a place that is good. Honor God with your life. Live a life of contentment. Live a life that honors God, that says you have uh, uh, parameters. I don't want to live on the whim of my desire. I want to live in alignment to what your word says. The first thing I'll leave you with is this. God has an expectation on our living. Number one, Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read several scriptures inside of here today. And I'll tell you, maybe in the past I, I, I preached these things, but I want to teach these things today. I want to slow it down and read scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to slow it down. I'm not going to speak with inspiration from Scripture. I'm going to speak from Scripture today. I'm going to speak, I'm going to read it directly, and we'll, we'll go from there. But in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, what God has put in place is an expectation around his people. They're living in Egypt, or they're living in the desert at this moment in time. They're about to step into the promised land, and God has a direction to them. In Deuteronomy 5, he would give them directly, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, he would give them the Ten Commandments. The expectation, the boundaries on their lives. We're going to jump into the Ten Commandments. We'll jump into um, the Sermon on the Mount in the successive weeks that gets into the details. But God has my heart here just to say there is an expectation God has for us. And with an expectation, there's got to be a response inside of our lives. So Deuteronomy 6 speaks to this. In verse number 1, he says, These are the commandments, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commands me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. So there's a direction to God's people in the Old Testament. I've given you the Ten Commandments on how you should live, what the expectation is. A chapter over in Deuteronomy 6, now he's given them direction. You should uh, you should follow these regulations. You should do as it commands. You should obey them in the land uh, that you are about to enter and occupy. Verse number two says, and you uh, and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. That's that respect I was talking about last week. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Come on, somebody say amen. We want to live a long life, but it's if we obey his decrees and his com uh, commands. Verse number three, listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you, will, uh, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So it's very clear in here. You must obey, and if you do, you live a long life. You will live a blessed life in this land that God has called us to. So there's an expectation, and in that expectation of living, there's a blessing that flows from it. Verse number four says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Doesn't Jesus repeat this in Matthew? He repeats the same thing inside of here, the same decree and the same instruction that Moses has given to the children of Israel, Jesus would repeat in Matthew. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. This is an indication to people of the kingdom, not of this world, to the people of the kingdom. Give God your everything. Give God everything. Mind, body, soul. Love the Lord your God. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Commit yourself to what? Living righteously. 
There's an expectation. Commit yourself. Set your mind, set your life towards these things, and commit to living it, doing it. Commit to fulfilling the expectations. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Come on, as I said last week, there's, we instruct our children. We tell our kids the instruction from God, not from the instruction of this world, not from the moral standards set by this ungodly world, but we're, telling, we're repeating the decrees and the commands from God to our children, what is listed in his word. It is our responsibility to do that. We put our hands on our kids. We don't take our hands off our kids. Talk about them uh, when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them around your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Come on, somebody. I love it when people start putting scriptures, people are putting Bibles, they're building a house, they say we're putting a Bible right in the foundation. We're going to take scriptures that we love and we're going to put them inside of the walls of our house before the, before the uh, sheetrock goes up. Why? Because we want it to be everywhere inside of our house. Man, I love it when people have signs for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord on their walls, right? This is a beautiful thing. God is instructing us. Set our minds toward these things. Do these things. There's an expectation. Fall in alignment. Get into alignment with my expectation. There's an Old Testament perspective, an Old Testament understanding of this, but there's also a New Testament because Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So as we jump into Matthew 5, here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Come on. Jesus came to fulfill these things. Jesus didn't come to abolish that law because there's some people out there, I'm not legalistic, but you still are getting drunk. I'm not legalistic. I'm not, you know, that legalism. Now I'm under grace now. Yeah, but you're living a life of sin. Jesus didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill those laws and the writings of the prophets as they prophesied that there would be this man that would become the savior of the world. He said, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. Verse number 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law would disappear until the, uh, its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. So by fulfilling these things and living in righteousness, the commands of God, man, we're going to be called great. Amen. The last part of here is where it gets real. Jesus says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Holy. Anybody have like somebody in your workplace that just kills the game? They just seem like they're not human. Like they are so good at what they do. You're like, I'll never get there. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees, every little thing Every little decree, you know, we know from these Ten Commandments that were spoken by God to Moses that the Jewish individuals, these religious people, would write another 613 and put them on top of that. You're talking about all kinds of regulations you could and couldn't do, and these Pharisees would follow every single one of these decrees to the nano-nano. I mean, Jesus would speak that you're so concerned to, you know, strain out the gnat inside of your wine. I mean, they literally would strain the drink before they didn't want to have one unclean, one unhealthy, you know, impure thing that they would take into their bodies. 
That's how like, and Jesus says, unless you become as righteous as them, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. He ups the ante. He throws down. Jesus, or God has an expectation in the Old Testament of living. Jesus has an expectation of living in the New Testament. He came to fulfill the law. He did not come to abolish it. He did not come to write it off. He came to fulfill it. And I'm just saying this is, a, this is a call for us as the body of Christ to start, start pushing away from that whole grace-filled conversation and say, no, we got a truth-filled conversation that our God has an expectation and we have a responsibility in his kingdom to live up to those expectations. We have a responsibility to do as he's called us to do because Roman 8 says this, verse number one, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Amen. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This life-giving spirit that comes from God has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like um, the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came body form to do what the law could not do in making us right. And this life-giving power in the spirit that operates on the inside of us now releases us from the power of sin. Verse number four, he did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. What is he saying? That just requirements of the law, the righteous expectation of the law could be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We've already talked about there's no, we can't live, I mean, we're all going to fall short of the glory of God. There is an expectation, but we put our mind, we're, we're pursuing that expectation. We're going to fall short, but the beauty is the, bot, the, the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ justifies us to meet that just requirement of the law. So it's through the blood of Christ. When we walk in repentance and humility towards him, we're living in righteousness. We're, are, we're aiming towards that. The blood of Christ is on us because we're always going to fail to the expectation that God has for us. So it's through Jesus Christ that now we have the life-giving spirit, the power over sin inside of our lives, that through him, it meets the just requirements of the law. And I'll move on. Who no longer uh, follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So we've been released from the sinful nature by Jesus Christ, so we no longer follow our sinful nature. It's key to key hear that. When you meet Jesus Christ, you no longer Follow your sinful nature. The selfish, sinful, unrighteous behaviors, you no longer live by that. Okay, we're clear delineation. You meet Jesus, you have power over sin, now you move in righteousness, and you move away from that sinful nature. You're not led by that. What you are led by, though, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit which was given unto us. Verse number five, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. What are we waking up every day thinking about? Is it the sinful nature on the inside of us? I can't wait to see this lady at work. Oh, Lord Jesus. How's she looking today? Prideful. Oh, I'm better than everybody else. Everybody else is idiots. Do you know what education I got? Do you know what school I graduated from? 
man, there's a bunch of dumb people all around me. God, why'd you put me in a land of idiots? Pride. Pride is probably one of the biggest things that people overlook that is a sin. Haughtier, better than everybody else. Nose stuck up in the air. Ain't worth my time. I got something to do, places to be, people to see. Amen. And we get this pride that wells up on the inside of us. A lot of churches deal within that realm. Too good for everybody else. I'm so righteous. I can't be connected, unequally yoked. That's not what God's talking about. So we're led by the Spirit. Are we waking up every day saying, God, how, are we gonna, how can we please your Spirit today? How can we honor you with our lives? Our thoughts are focused on, man, what is good, right, true, and noble. Our mind is in the right place. We're not thinking about, man, can I get on that computer and start researching this or looking at that? Man, today, how can I please you, God? I don't want to live on the whim of my desire, but I want to live to honor you. My mind is in the right place. I'm led by the Spirit, not by my sinful nature. So let your sinful nature control. Uh, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Come on, if you don't have peace in your life today, maybe you are overwhelmed by thinking of a sinful nature. Start shifting the mind. So a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So a man thinks, so he is. Where the mind goes, the life goes. Verse number, um, verse number five, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Four, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. There's a clear separation that as when we come to Christ, this is where I'm getting hard up in the paint with this. But God has an expectation on our lives. We cannot keep on justifying sinful behavior. If we are justifying sinful behavior, we're living a sinful life, we're waking up every day consumed by sinful ideas, sinful pleasures, sinful desires, then we find ourselves in a place where we are not led by the Spirit. We will not find ourselves living a life of peace. We feel whole. We feel content. We will find ourselves continually at the dead end of a splunking hole thinking, God, why the heck did I push myself down this canal? Say it that way. That's a better way to say it. (laughs) God has an expectation on our living, Old Testament and New Testament. Are we waking up every day to say, God, we want to meet your expectation? This isn't about our desires. This is not about our ideas. This is about your plan. This is about your expectation. This is about your commands. This is about your decrees. I'm here to honor you with my life. I'm not trying to rewrite the the, the commands. I'm not trying to rewrite the expectations. I'm not trying to change your word to meet my desires. I'm trying to live according to your word and let my life be changed. Your word is your word to transform me. Number two, I'll leave you with. How we live reflects who he is. How we personally live reflects who he is. If there's an expectation and we live to that expectation, then we will represent our heavenly father well. Unfortunately, there's a world in which says we are Christians. We are following God, but they're living at the whim of their desires and they are a terrible reflection of who God is. The hypocritical, I'm this, but they do something different. Do as I say, not as I do. 
Romans 6, 12 says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil uh, to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of who? God. Use your whole body to meet these expectations and glorify your heavenly father. These are the good works God has called us to. As we talk, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Let the world see our good works, as Jesus said, and glorify our heavenly Father. Let us see Him living righteously. Let Him see us following God. Let us let Him see us living to a higher standard, not falling to the standard of this world, but rising to the standard of God. Verse number fourteen: Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. You're separated from that. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does not that uh, mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Since he separated us from the law, the standard which is there to reveal our sinfulness, does that mean God's grace has found us and we can just keep on sinning? No. It means we have this demarcation in our lives to say, this life is over and a new one has started. I'm pursuing righteousness. I'm moving forward in the decrees of God. I've changed my life. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Don't you realize that, um, that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Here, it's a repetition of these words. When you're a slave to sin, you live by the sinful desires. It leads towards death, a spiritual death that could be a physical death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. You've separated. You're no longer a slave to that. You've separated, and now you're a slave to righteous living. When you talk about this separation where we've been set free from the law, the law is revealed. Paul was speaking another part of Scripture that the law was revealed to expose how sinful we are. But Jesus Christ has stepped in to save and redeem us by his grace. What that does not mean, that grace does not mean we keep on doing what we want to do, as it says inside of here. You've been saved by grace. Do you keep on sinning? Another part of Scripture says you keep on nailing Christ. I think it's in Hebrews. It says you keep nailing Christ to the cross. No, we change. We shift our life, and we pursue Christ. We honor him. Our minds are in that perspective. Our our thinking's in that perspective. Our heart is in that, that realm. We're pursuing God. So we remove ourselves from this sinful living and we pursue Jesus. 1 John 5, 18 says, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. What is it saying here clearly? If you're a believer, you believe in Christ Jesus, he has saved and redeemed you. You don't make a practice of sinning. We don't make a practice of sinning. We don't wake up every day and say, hey, we're just gonna keep on doing this. 
there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives that says you are out of alignment with the expectation. Get into alignment with righteousness. Uh, be led by the Spirit to fo follow God and honor him. And when you do that, you live a long life and you live a blessed life. Verse 21 in here says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. If God is not at the center of your focus, he is not at the center uh, uh, of your pursuit, be careful for the things that may capture your heart because out of your heart flows your life. Where your treasure is, the Bible says, there your heart will also be. What do you treasure today? Do you treasure to be in the presence of God? Do you treasure to honor God with your life? Or are you living at the whim of desire that is leading towards death and destruction? 2 Corinthians 5 11 says, because we understand our faithful our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope that you know this too. We are commend uh, commending ourselves to you again. No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. A, a big difference between living and honoring God with your life and doing it for an ulterior motive. There's people that do it with a sincere heart, and I pray, my heart is that we're doing it with a sincere heart. Verse 13 says, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, if it seems we are crazy, it is, be, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefits. <laughs> our benefit. What did I say a couple weeks ago when I said, man, if people think we're crazy, let them think we're crazy. We might as well embrace crazy and live crazy. I'm talking about crazy faith. Crazy faith in our workplaces, crazy faith inside of our, our classroom, crazy, uh, crazy faith inside of our, our offices, crazy, crazy faith inside of our, our homes. I'm talking about crazy faith. When somebody that does not know God's life say, what? Like, no, we're praying right now in the middle of Target. Yes, we are in Jesus' name. You guys are crazy. Yeah, we are. We embrace the crazy. If they think we're crazy, cool, we're crazy. They think we're out of our minds, uh, our, and if we are in our right minds, it is all for your benefit, man, right? It's like we're crazy or we're in our minds, one or the other, but our focus is Jesus. Either way, Christ's love controls us, amen? Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have, uh, we all died to our old life, right? That demarcation, we died to that old life. We're moving in the direction of Christ. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for, uh, for them. Skipping down to verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Verse 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 20, I'll skip down a little bit. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Skipping down a little bit to verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we, may, uh, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe I didn't say this in the specific series, but there is a common or there's a belief out there in the agnostic atheist world, that human idea and the human reasoning on, I just feel like you're pushing your faith on people. Why are you pushing your faith on people? Because we're God's ambassadors. That's it. 
because we're God's ambassadors. We have a demarcation of transformation inside of our lives, and God is using us to reach the world. We're called to carry and bear the message of the gospel to the world, which is Hey, sinful, humanistic world, secular society that is controlled by the enemy, that is ruled by the thoughts of the enemy. Hey, you are sinful in need of a savior. There's a, a judgment day that is coming and Jesus Christ is the righteous judge. But our God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son to become flesh, to fulfill the just requirements of the law that we may be justified and we can become the righteousness of God here on this earth, the light to a broken world, the salt to a broken earth. That's what God has called us to do. There is an expectation that God has for us. Is there a desire on the inside of our heart, though, to live to that expectation? Literally, we will not be the light or the salt if we don't come into a place to say, we were here we were broken, we were once this, we were once that, but Jesus. Yeah. This is the statement I make when God puts his butt on us. Yeah. Come on, sometimes God's got to put his butt on our humanness to say, you are not enough, sit down, little boy, little girl. I am daddy, I got a better plan for you. You're trying to step out of alignment, just follow my commands and my decrees. How many times in life do we have to come to the end of ourselves before we come to this awareness that, man, there is a big God that has a better plan? Yeah. What is that for you? What does that look like for you? How many times have you said, man, I've gone down this broken road. I've gone down this place. I've gone down uh, uh, my own ideas, my own thinking, and found that it was a dead end of death and hopelessness. I thought I could live relationships a certain way. I thought I could pursue money in a certain way. I thought I could be X, Y, and Z. But I came to this space and place to realize that even in my best attempt, my righteousness is still filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. And I desperately need a savior to meet that standard of expectation. And God says that's Jesus. We turn away from our old sinful lives and we move towards righteousness. I know I'm going hard in the paint and I said it, I said it earlier in our, in our host meeting, but some of us, we know this. You've been in church for a really long time. You know this. But you need to hear it. Because the world in which we're living in here today does not believe it. It does not believe these truths. It does not believe that somebody is going their own way is out of alignment with any expectation other than themselves. Maybe their belief system. They have their own standards. They have their own morality. God has already set these things in place, and it is unchangeable. His word is infallible. His word is truth. And so as believers, we come to this place to say, God's got an expectation. I got to get, I got to push away from all these things that's trying to capture my heart, and I got to get into alignment and be led by the Spirit. I got a sinful nature that is on the inside of me, but man, I, I got, Christ has saved me and redeemed me. He is, uh, he's overcome this sinful nature in the inside of my life, and now I'm alive by the Spirit, and now that I'm alive by the Spirit, I'm moving in the direction of righteousness. Man, I want to honor God with my life. It's a clear difference than, a, than the individuals that are out there. There's a lot of Christians out there that say, I'm living my life. I'm living my best life. I've given into the idea that I can do this. Oh, and then I come to church on Sundays and I'm just doing what God loves and praise God. It's so good. Amen. 
And then Monday, oh, God, I'm going to live to my whim, my desire, I'm doing my thing. Oh, God, oh, this is horrible, God. Ah, Pastor, I need you. I need you. Now, there's times of that grace. But as Paul said in here, if grace has found us, do we keep on sinning? There's a difference. When we are believers, our trajectory is God. His regulations, his standards. It's changing the direction. We are still going to fall. Yes, I am still going to get calls from you. Yes. I pursued righteousness. I fell. But there's a difference on I'm pursuing myself. I'm pleasing my desires. I'm living my best life. Yeah. There's a difference in I'm pursuing a sinful nature. And then feeling temporary peace when I come to church and I feel good. Man, if we're pursuing God, if God is the center of our focus, we'll probably show up to church a little more than once a month. We'll probably show up to church more than once every three months. We probably will. Because we're like, dude, we want to honor him. We want to be in his presence. Man, he's moving in my life. I can't wait to get to church and share my testimony with somebody. I can't wait to encourage somebody. I can't wait to gather as the body of Christ and worship God. And, man, see his presence fall and lives be transformed. Man, I want to be in his presence. Who am I, man? God, oh, I want to be in his presence. There's a shift and a change in our hearts and our lives. There's a clear delineation. I mean, if you haven't had that clear delineation where you've moved from your selfish, sinful nature, your selfish, sinful desires and said, God, I no longer want to live by this anymore. I'm done with this life. I'm ready to move forward. If you haven't had that moment, now's the time. No more playing games. No more making excuses. No more self-righteousness on who so got us together. I know Jesus, but you never even shared your faith in the last 20 years. Man, you look really good. You know what the Bible says? You're just a whitewashed tomb. You look really good on the outside, but the inside of you is jacked up, tore up from the floor. That's what Jesus says. He says, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those that know they are sinners. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is looking for some people to say, I'm jacked up, tore up from the floor up. I have an issue, but I know through Jesus Christ, I've overcome this sin. I hear, I want to walk in righteousness. I'm going to fail in this journey, but I know that the Savior will pick me right back up because I'm pursuing him and only him and nothing else. That's it. That's it. So if you don't have that demarcation of salvation in Christ Jesus, today's the day to say, I'm done with that life. I've come to the end of myself. It's not about my ideas. It's not about my best life. It's about his best life in me. It's about living to his expectations so I can receive life. And this is walking away from sin. I'm talking about sexual immorality today. It's walking away from sexual immorality. You got a porn addiction? Deal with it today. I'm walking away from porn. No more. I want to walk in health and healing. They say 90% of men struggle with porn addiction. That's a real deal, holy field statistic. There's, I think, 60% of females deal with the porn addiction. What is this? It's so accessible today. It's a God-given natural desire that happens within the expectations and the order and the boundaries that God has laid out for us. Marriage. 
But how many times do we live in that desire? Right? That's one area. Money's a different area. We'll lie, cheat, and steal to get more of it. Pride. We're better than everybody else. We ain't got time for nobody else. These are issues, big issues, and we're going to jump into all of these. But this demarcation is say, I'm done with that life. I'm moving with Jesus. I'm pursuing Jesus. I want my life to honor him. So if you don't have that demarcation, now's the time to say, Jesus, we're coming to you. You are the savior of the universe. You are God's gift to humanity. You are his, his expression of love to us that he sent his best to die for us, that came in a human form to experience what we experience, yet you did not sin. And in that now, we have this just requirement of the law fulfilled. And through this, we come to Jesus. We don't go through human reasoning, human idea. We go through God's idea of salvation in his son. And if you're here, you never met Jesus. It's simple, simple things. But small tweaks, high peaks, change everything. Every head bowed and every eye closed, very direct conversation. You are here and you want to move in righteousness. This is a time to say, I'm done with sin. You got a sin, you know what it is. You don't need to shout it out loud. That's between you and God. He is your high priest. You don't have to come to me and confess your sins before me. You go to your high priest, Jesus Christ. And right now, you're before your high priest to say your sin. Put it before him. You know what it is. In your prayer to him right now, say, say what your sin is. God, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I, I got an issue with this area in my life. I need to move beyond this. I, I'm living in, in death. I have no peace in my life because of this one area. It's captured my heart. Whatever it may be, you know the biggest struggle that is undermining your life. And let's just commit right now that that is over. That life of that sinful desire, that selfishness is over. That's the old life. And you're moving in the direction of a new life, a new birth, new living, meeting a new expectation, led by the Spirit now. No longer by that spirit of of sin, but by the Spirit of God, the same. Walk in righteousness. Honor me with your life. Man, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Set yourself apart. Come on, if you're here and you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. Every head bowed and every closed, just raise your hand to me and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm moving forward. Moving from the old into the new, following righteousness, walking away from sin. Amen. Several hands. Let's all just say it together. Say, Jesus, we thank you that you found us in our brokenness at the end of ourselves. We believe today that you are the Savior. So we ask you, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins. Come into our heart. Lead our lives. Send the Spirit to direct us in every expectation of righteousness. We're going to do this to the best of our ability. 
In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen and amen and amen. Amen. I sure do like preaching, but I do like teaching too. I like getting like, I would rather be sweating right now. But for whatever reason, this is where God has me. And if you're a part of Pro Street Church, you understand that the Lord is leading me. And where he leads me is where I will go. So when you walk in on Sunday, understand you're not getting the voice of a man. You're getting the voice of a, a man that is fully submitted to God. That wants to give us what we need in this season. Sometimes you need a diet. Sometimes you need a buffet. God is saying today you need a buffet. In this season of the church, walk in with a big plate, which means walk in get ready to take some notes. Walk in ready to hear from God. Not my voice, not my words, but what God is speaking to you. I'm going to speak something on this stage, but I pray by the power of God that through his spirit, he is speaking something far deeper into your heart. So come in with your buffet plate. God, I'm ready. What do you want to speak? Amen. Love you guys. Pastor Brian's going to come and close this out.